This is a Your Farm Business Podcast with Mike Krause of P2P Agri. Our next guest on Your Farm Business Podcast is Daryl Gobbett. He's currently a visiting fellow at the South Australian Centre of Economic Studies at the University of Adelaide. Daryl is also an eminent economist and has had many roles in his successful business career. He also very, has a very good talent in being a very clear communicator when it comes to complex economic situations. Daryl, welcome to your Farm Business Podcast. We spoke to you about six months ago and then the focus was really recovering out of COVID and what happens in pandemics and interest rates remaining flat for periods of time. But we've had the uh, Ukraine conflict rear its head since that time. Has that meant that we now have a curveball thrown at us, that things are genuinely changing? I think there's both Ukraine, but there's also Omicron. When we spoke six months ago, you know, the expectation was, yep, Delta's with us, the COVID variant. Then Omicron hits us, um, and it hit Australia probably three or four weeks after it had first been discovered in South Africa. So that mm. had another impact, particularly here in South Australia. <laughs> also had a political impact, I think, on Mr. Yeah, Marshall. we've had a change of government because of it. <laughs> I think what that's increased the uncertainty because, as we've seen with Omicron, the policymakers have said, well, let's open up. So we've opened up. And we're now seeing far more cases of Omicron than we ever saw with the previous variants here in Australia, even in Western Australia. So we're seeing thousands, or probably tens of thousands a day across Australia. So that's had an impact. Then we have Russia invading Ukraine. And again, the uncertainty as to how long the Ukrainians could hold out. And it looks as if with all the uncertainties, they're doing a very, very good job. And there's been a very swift response, a much swifter response, I think, than anyone expected, including mm -hmm. Mr. Putin and Mr. Xi, from the West. A response not only sort of economically, financially, in terms of the sanctions, militarily, but also in terms of what looks as if actually bringing the West together. That's right. not one sort of really expected. They've created a bigger, bigger alliance against them. Maybe. That's right. And so we've got all these uncertainties. So I think the interesting thing for interest rates, I think they're still panning out as I broadly expected. In other words, I'd as I said back then, I didn't expect the Reserve Bank to be raising interest rates until mm -hmm. probably well into 2023. And they haven't done that with a cash rate. It's sitting there at 0.1. We've seen other interest rates, the longer term ones, rise. But even when we look at, say, the 10-year government bond rate in Australia, that's probably gone up about 1% we spoke last. So it's still at some of the lowest levels that Australia's ever seen. Right. Not, not seen since the Second World War, but ever seen. Right. So, again... Philip Lowe, the governor of the Reserve Bank, is now saying, well, it's plausible we could have a cash rate rise by the end of 2022. But again, we're seeing quite a different response in Australia than we're seeing in the United States, where they're retaining, even with the uncertainties coming out of the Ukraine, we're seeing them on quite an aggressive raising stance. So we could see interest rates in the United States, the cash rate, go up another 1% or 2% over the next couple of months. Right. Interest rates are rising in Canada, the United Kingdom, New Zealand. Whereas in Australia, the official rate, I think, is going to remain probably not much above point, the current 0.1%, you know, well into 2023. The issue here, I think, for Australia is the Reserve Bank, I think, has much more focus on getting unemployment down to well... I think they're now looking at a rate of around about 2% before they think inflation is going to really start to lift. Wow. Um, and so that's a quite a low rate. Well, it's currently 4% nationally, 5% mm. here in South Australia. Mm. 
but the way the governor is talking and some of the information he put up at a recent meeting where the Financial Review had faxed through to him one of their cover pages from 1960, where the Reserve Bank was concerned that the unemployment rate had risen to 2%. So I think that's sort of the mindset in the Reserve Bank, that they would be wanting to see inflation in that 2 to 3% band quite sustainably, and right. they don't see that it's there. One of the reasons they don't see that it's there, even though we had CPI inflation over the year to December of 3.5%, yeah. So they're saying there's a lot of one-offs and we're not seeing the rise in wages growth that they would like to see. And so we're actually seeing declining real wages. If we look at yeah. inflation of three and a half percent or 4%, but wages growth are perhaps no more than one to 2%. Hmm. I think the Reserve Bank is saying we would like to see wages growth stronger. The only way we're getting stronger wages growth is to have much tighter unemployment or you know, lower unemployment. Right. than what we've currently got. So, and I think that's what's really going to be driving their views on interest rates, yeah. even as the rest of the world pushes rates up. So as rates go up internationally, there won't be pressure on us to follow? There'll be pressure on those, there'll be pressure on the Reserve Bank to follow, and we'll see that amongst the commentators and the analysts. Mm -hmm. We're seeing a rise in interest rates in those longer-term interest rates, such as yeah. the three, five, ten-year bond rates, and the sort of private swap rates. We're seeing it in the bill futures rates. In other words, what people could pay for 90-day bills you know, going into 2025, 2026. Mm -hmm. But they're still only in the order of 2 to 3%, those so, long-term bills. Yeah, so, so if, we get, if we need any rises, it'll, we're only talking about a half or 1% at the most, maybe. Certainly, I reckon, the next 12 months to, to 18 months. Although the expectation, I think, particularly for people who are looking to borrow term funds, is that they're going to be paying more. So we'll get back to that situation where the term funds could well be costing more than the overdrafts, the bill finance. Right. Okay. You know, we'll have that, what we call a steep yield curve. Right. Yeah. You know, we've probably got used to the idea that fixed term rates may well be lower than variable rates. Hmm. Whereas I think we're going to shift away. Partly because of expectations that the Reserve Bank will raise rates in the longer run, but also because of what we're seeing overseas, where those rates are going up, and those rates are going to be going up partly because of the inflation impact from Ukraine, but also because we've seen not only a significant lift in government borrowing because of COVID, you know, the responses to that, yeah. as governments have tried to keep the economies going, mm -hmm. but I think in what Ukraine the Ukraine-Russian war has brought about is most of the Western governments are now talking about a significant lift in defence spending, right. which will be funded by debt. So even Germany, where their ratio of defence spending to GDP has normally been about 1, 1.2%. At that level, they're not even maintaining their armed services or mm. machinery. Mm. They talk about that. Right. They are now talking that they will be putting their defence spending up to around about 2% of GDP. The English, or the, the British, are going to increase theirs. The Americans are going to increase theirs. So we've got on top of the COVID-induced deficits and higher levels of debt, we are now going to have what is a longer-term lift in government spending on defence, on top of all the spending that's going to be on aged care and others because of the demographics in the Western countries. So... We're in for a period of significantly higher budget 
deficits for longer than was expected and certainly longer than was expected just prior to Christmas before the, mm. the Russians invaded the Ukraine. So I think that's another thing. And we're seeing that here in Australia where if we go back about three years, government debt here, the federal government debt was about $200 billion. Well, now it's approaching a billion dollars. It's gone up in a huge fashion. And again, the Reserve Bank governor is saying he wants to get the ratio of debt to total output, you know, debt, you'll hear him talk yeah. debt to GDP. He wants to get that down, but he doesn't see that it should come down by the government actually cutting spending or increasing taxes. He would see the better path to get that down would be having stronger growth. And so this spending in defence will encourage growth to continue? That will encourage growth. It sort of, I think it does suggest that we're going to see higher debt to output ratios, what the economists would call debt to GDP. Mm-hmm. We're going to see that's going to be higher than what was expected six months ago, 12 months ago, because we were looking at a path back to surpluses mm-hmm. as we came out of COVID. But we are going to see a high level of government debt, certainly at the federal level, and I think we'll also see it at the state level. So we've just got to be aware that what we call the term structure of interest rates, those longer term interest rates are going to be going up, yeah. even while the Reserve Bank, I think will not be moving very quickly on the cash rate, which again is, in, as I said before, is in contrast to what is happening in the major Western countries overseas. Yeah, Darren, I just want to change the discussion a little bit to inflation. I know you said that it's within the target range, but you know, recently we've seen fuel prices go up for farmers. We've seen chemical prices go up for farmers. We've seen fertilizer go up for farmers. Do you feel that's a short-term reaction to what's happening with our supply chain and it's affected by Ukraine and other areas and China's reaction? Or are we going to come back within 12 months to normal levels? I don't believe we're going to be seeing the reduction like urea prices, potash prices, fertilisers, chemicals, moving back to what we had back in mid-221 very quickly. Because I... We just don't know how these supply chain reactions are occurring. They were disrupted during COVID. Mm-hmm. Now, the cost of a, had my own experience with one of the little businesses I run, where the cost of a container to Japan went up from sort of three to four hundred dollars to twelve hundred dollars. Right. If you could get it, and the issue is going to be how, with the sanctions that have been put on to Russia and to Belarus and the impacts that the the war in the Black Sea is having, because Mm -hmm. Belarus and Russia are major producers of natural gas, which is a major input into urea and ammonia. Mm -hmm. So that's impacting the cost of fertiliser two ways, both the cost of doing it and whether you can get get it at all and when you can ship it round. And that's, I think, going to perhaps wake Australians up even more to this idea that perhaps we've got to become a bit less dependent on the rest of the world, including China, particularly Russia and Belarus, Mm. for the ammonia and the urea. And then there's also the issue with potash, where Canada's the biggest producer, but Russia, Kazakhstan, Belarus are major producers of this stuff. So I don't see that even if there was to be a relatively rapid conclusion to the war in Ukraine, which I don't think is going to happen. I think that's going to be drawn out for quite a while. But then you'd also say, how quickly would the Americans, the Europeans want to take off the sanctions? Mm. Just because, you know, would you say within two days of Russia saying, oh, we're pulling out, you'd reduce the sanctions? I don't think so. You want to 
it's a bit like dealing with, you know, someone who's been a bit naughty in other areas. With kids, there's got to be consequence for your actions. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and so I think that's an issue we're all going to face. But at the same time, from what I can see and looking at, you know, the latest information from the US Department of Agriculture, those cost issues could stay for us for quite a while. But the commodity prices, wheat, coarse grains, could actually stay quite high for quite a while because even prior to the Russian invasion of the Ukraine, the USDA was forecasting falling stocks of wheat, for example. Right. In fact, so they were saying the only reason that production was holding up around the world mm. for drought and other reasons across the world was that, um, and flooding in China, was mm. that Australia was going to have record production of wheat mm. for 21, 22. And this is flowing, I think, these other costs, you know, coming back to the issue about inflation and commodity prices, you're already seeing discussions in US forum about whether people will be able to apply the same amount of fertiliser that they would normally do and what that's going to mean to productivity. What that's going to mean, guys even talking now about what that's going to mean to cattle weights, for example, as they yeah. reduce their fertiliser. So yeah. I think we're... Given the uncertainties, we're going to be with commodity prices higher for longer. There's going to be also the changes to the way in which stuff is transported around the world. You know, yeah. stuff will move. So we'll get urea from somewhere else and potash mm -hmm. from somewhere else. But that means changes in shipping arrangements. It means changes in what ports can be used. So mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of uncertainty there. From the Reserve Bank's point of view, I think they're going to be, I think we're all going to be shocked, in fact, by what's going to happen to the CPI in the March quarter. Because right. we've had that huge lift huge. in petrol prices. Yeah, yep. We've had the floods and other issues mm -hmm. in New South Wales, which mm -hmm. are pushing up fruit and vegetable prices. We've got continued strong growth in housing prices. So I think there's going to be a number of areas where the Reserve Bank, relative to what it expected, say, in the December quarter, is going to see quite a surge in the CPI, higher yeah. than most people expected. Well, I guess in some regards, what you just said there relieves the farmers because they're forking out on high input costs at the moment with the hope that the commodity prices remain at the end of the year so that they can claw some of that back. So you're saying that that's likely to happen. I guess the last thing I wouldn't mind touching on, and I haven't seen a lot of it, is the Australian dollar going to sit where roughly where it is at the moment or are these high interest rates in other economies rather than ours going to mean that the dollar shifts a little? The Australian dollar is fundamentally driven by what happens to commodity prices. Right. My analysis of this coming back over the best part of 30 years is that the Australian dollar, bond rates here are driven more by the Australian dollar than the other way around. Right. And, you know, as we all, when we did Economics 101, it was all about relative interest rates and relative inflation rates. Well, they're almost irrelevant in the Australian case. It's really what happens to commodity prices. Mm -hmm. And Australia have actually done very well over the last sort of several weeks. Mm. You know, I was looking at the numbers today. If we look back, for example, at the wheat price, that's almost doubled in US dollar terms mm. over the last, say, six months. Crude oil, we were looking at 60 to $80 a barrel 12 months ago. Now it's 114 Coal is a major one. May last year, the coal price out of Newcastle, thermal price, thermal coal, $108 US a tonne. Now it's $325. It did hit $420. Mm. You got the iron ore price back at $142. You got steel prices, not at record levels, but pretty close to it, 
Mm. Now, the interesting thing is a lot of these prices are back, not so much coal, but some of the things like iron ore and steel are actually even gas prices are back to where they were about six or 12 months ago. So we had this dip in prices, I think, as COVID sort of took off again in the Mm. second half of 2021. Now we've got the supply issues, the logistics issues, all pushing the Australian dollar up Mm. as markets have responded. I think there's another interesting issue here, which is about how Australia is seen as being one of those core providers of commodities to the West mm-hmm. in years to come. Right, okay. so we can't continue to rely on Russia or China for a lot of these major commodities. Or is it more an important position? I think it does. And, you know, climate change. It's amazing how Australian farmers are continuing to increase productivity. Mm while they're being impacted by, by climate change, whereas you'd say the United States, because of the drying out of major parts of the, the southwest areas, what's going to happen in Europe with climate change? I think Australia, both in terms of how our farmers have reacted, adapted to climate change, mm. and the new strategic positioning militarily. For example, well, Australia may well be seen as being the place the rest of the world's got to come to for lithium because we don't want to be dependent upon China or Russia yeah, for that. Yeah. Or if we get this hydrogen economy stuff right, does that mean we become a major producer of urea and ammonia because we can do it cheaply? I don't know. It's just the sort of stuff that okay, people yeah. will be starting to think about by saying, well, is Australia the place where we could become a country that we could actually bring more in from if well, we don't believe we can rely any more upon China or Russia or other parts of Central Asia that we can have limited access to because mm. of China and Russia. Daryl, thank you very much. That was really insightful to go through all those issues and the changes that we're going through. Thank you for agreeing to talk to us again. I'd love to have another chat in about six months' time yep. because I'd imagine there'll be something else that's cropped up that starts to inhibit the current situation we're in and change things in the future. So thank you very much, Daryl. appreciate your clear communication and insights into this. Thank Thanks, you. Mike. You've been listening to Daryl Gobbett. And in summary, I think he gave us six points to remember. First of all, interest rates, they might rise by 1% in the medium term, but they'll remain low for the foreseeable future. Long-term interest rates, will probably be higher than short-term rates. Number two, inflation is likely to be in the band of 2 to 3%, which is the RBA's aim, even though the next March quarter, we might have a shock with the increased fuel prices. Number three is probably the biggest point, is this uncertainty that's created by COVID, and now Ukraine will be with us for the foreseeable future, regardless of Ukraine if that issue is solved in the short term. So because of that uncertainty, the fourth point was our input costs like fertiliser, fuel and chemicals will stay relatively high. And fifthly, it'll help maintain high commodity prices like wheat and barley and canola. And the sixth point is the Australian dollar will remain strong because that tends to be driven by high commodity prices. If you want to take more insight into interest rates and its impact on rural land values, have a listen to an earlier podcast we did with Daryl, and you can find that 
and other podcasts we've done at Your Farm Business Podcast at www.p2pagri.com.au. We look forward to having you as guests in our future Your Farm Business Podcast.